And keep peace. Keep peace. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Wag the Dog FM, your weekly public relations podcast. My name is Philip Bormans, your host, and this week is one of my favorite topics, and that means crisis communications and emergency management. And to talk about that important topic, I've invited Christine Townsend. Christine is the uh, founder of Musterpoint. Musterpoint is an emergency communications platform, which also can be used for simulations. And uh, Christine, her background is in public sector communications and law enforcement. So someone from the terrain, someone who has been on the street, and she handled many kinds of uh, crises and emergencies throughout her career. We talk about that. And we'll do a bit of a, like a, a comparison thing between you know, public sector, private sector in the context of crisis communications and emergency management. Hope you enjoy it. Have a listen. Keep peace. Hi, Christina. Welcome on the Wag the Dog. Hi there. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How's the weather? You're based in the UK, right? So uh, I am in the UK and also in Texas in the in the states. Ah, but at okay, the moment, good. I, uh, yeah, at the moment I'm in Texas. It's super hot, um, but yeah, I love it here in Austin. Okay, well, it's hot in here as well. Uh, here in Casablanca, it's uh, it's the summer. That's what you have. So let's not complain about it. No, not at all. Good, Christine. We're uh, based on your background. I mean, I've done the, the introduction, so. Uh, based on your background, let's talk about the emergency communication and then, of course, talk as well about the solution that you found and um, about emergency simulations. But first of all, with your background, emergency communications, what have you seen? What are the, the things that you see again and again happening, positive or negative, positive or negative, from your experience? What have you seen coming back again and again? Um, I think when it comes to managing an emergency um, with the communications, it's lack of preparation. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, the, the key really is in all the background work that you do. And um, whether it's public sector or private sector, I, I think that there's the real sense of even if you're supposedly in that role, that it will never happen to you um, or that it won't happen this week or, you know, so. And I've been caught out myself so many times. And the way I, I try to think about it is when you have a, an Olympic sprinter, they'll only be on track for seconds, like 10, 15 seconds. But they've been preparing for four years for that moment. And mm -hmm. we don't see what goes on into that preparation. We will only judge them by the 10 seconds they perform at that really key time. And I think the emergency comes professionals need to think of it in that way it may be that you only have your 10 seconds but they're the 10 seconds you're going to be judged on so use the downtime you know all the time uh, to prepare and you know be ready as best you can um, but equally I, I also have found particularly in public sector and emergency services that when it counts we're really good at comms um, in, in sort of coming together. So I think urgency gives a sense of professionalism and getting the job done. I, I would say in the UK for sure. I mean, yes, we you come under criticism um, from the media and the public alike and politicians. Um, but actually, when you kind of see all the work that goes on right in that moment, you do think, yeah, you know what, we know what we're doing. 
Yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's nice that you mentioned that because I've got the same experience in the way that the couple of crises that, uh, from a communications point of view, I was involved in is that when when it really gets hot, um, people do bring out the best uh, of themselves. I mean, there there is this there is this switch and there is this uh, prioritization that you maybe you don't have in day to day work. And then that brings out really, you know, the skills that people have and, and, and the real teamwork, to use the word. Uh, but that's what I've seen as well. So there must be a line somewhere in that. Absolutely. I think it's um, devil makes work for idle hands. So you do tend to, if you're that way inclined and you enjoy adrenaline and you enjoy um, an emergency, then the times in between are kind of hard for you to, to cope with if it's a long time. And if you're used to running on adrenaline all the time, and that is when you really, there are type that type of personality that does focus well in under pressure. Um, and I, I, I do think there is a type um, that enjoys it and embraces it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I personally don't like things like internal comms. Um, it's not my favourite um, kind of discipline within communication. Um, but I think that just comes down to my personality type. And um, actually, when you look at emergency services, you you have frontline operational stuff. But actually, the communications people would probably have the same kind of traits and mm-hmm. um, a lot of um, people who have come from a journalism background um, or almost fit the same type of personality type as a as a police officer you know the unpredictability um, of the role and the, the adrenaline part of it and you know just not knowing what's coming next and being resilient as well um, people don't like to put the two in the same box but actually it's it's a similar similar type of setup I think yeah, it's, uh, I, I was going to say, Bell, you, you've got an advantage in the way that you've been trained as an officer and that you, you know, that it's a different training than, of course, most of us have. But sure, there are some similarities in the way that we like that action moment and that, it, you know, it, it, it moves things forward. Uh, and that most of the time when you're in public relations, as well as your background, uh, we do tend to be those kind of profiles that work well under stress or maybe sometimes even better than... <laughs> while yes. not being under stress. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I think it is that boredom factor as well, and not many people would like to admit it, but they do something. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I could really do with yeah, something. Yeah. That challenge. You don't want anything bad to happen to other people by any means. No, of course not. Um, but you know, I think that's why people uh, get really into simulations and tabletop exercises if they're really you know immersive or what have you, and you, you, it does. It, it pulls out those skills and it's like, I've prepared for this, I'm ready. And, and then off it goes. And then you, I've had times when it's gone on for five, six days. And then afterwards you have a crash from the adrenaline um, mm-hmm. hangover almost. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Recognize that. Now. Um, okay. I, I don't want to get into semantics, but still there is something called emergency planning. And then there is something called emergency communications or crisis communications. How do you see those two work together? What is similar? What is different? I think the the key thing is also to make a differentiation between crisis comms and emergency comms. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think they quite often do get lumped into the same thing. So for me, a crisis is around reputational risk, um, often a little slower moving, maybe. I'm not, you know, uh, blanket, you know, um, 
statement on this, but uh, for me, an emergency communication situation involves loss, significant loss of life or damage to property or a threat to the day-to-day business of the, mem- of the public. Um, and when you have a crisis, say with a brand, for example, that doesn't really apply. So uh, for me, when you have emergency communications, they, it's absolutely crucial that working together with emergency planning. So I see emergency planning as the kind of nuts and bolts of the what happens if, this is how you cope with it, and um, the contingency plans in place to ensure the mm-hmm. emergency doesn't escalate. But it's the job of the communicator to put these instructions and these contingency plans into a format that is understandable to the public um, and businesses and you know key stakeholders because in times of emergency we only react in a way that is quite base we won't look at communication plans and we won't you know look at uh, the nuances of a an article or a leaf, it needs to be how are these people going to act under stress? How do we manage them and how do we communicate effectively with them? But with that as well, the, the communicator needs the broader picture as a strategic overview of what would happen if we don't communicate effectively? What's going to happen down the line when this is all um, looked at, you know, with the post-incident debriefs and that's when you feed back to the emergency planners who will also feed back to the communicators so they work in my mind it's the it's the practical the strategic they should always work together as a team and they come from different places um, with a mindset but the ultimate aim is to keep the public safe so Mm -hmm. but just with different angles from that so in my they must always always work together and you know there are times when they haven't um, and the practical doesn't always work with the strategic, um, but a good communicator will see through the politics and see through the, the the challenges and make sure ultimately that the public, the media, you know, they stakeholders say are communicated with effectively. And I think a really good example of that, that just kind of, in a nutshell, to me, I always used to remember was that we have uh, countries where or regions where you have dual language. So Wales, for example, where they're speaking Welsh and English, Canada, the French and English, and then parts of the States where it's Spanish um, and English. Everyone in a panic tends to revert to their natural um, mother tongue. So mm-hmm. people are calling, um, you know, emergency numbers and they will immediately, when panicked, scared, um, under stress, will speak in their language. So I always think, well, you know, this isn't about me and how I would like to be communicated with. It's about who and who we are communicating with in case and how do I need to get the important information to them and not to us. Yeah, no, I think that is a very important thing and it's... Uh... I mean, I come from originally from from Belgium, where we have three national languages. So I, I completely understand that that uh, that challenge because it's not the. Uh, and also, what I what I don't understand sometimes, what I've seen with with some clients, is that in the context of a, of a crisis or an emergency, it often very much get centralized in headquarters and yeah. managed from there. Uh, and without, of course, naming the client, but I had a client where everything was centered in the headquarters uh, in Europe. While we were playing a role game where the the emergency happened in Japan, and where suddenly the client, I said, "Okay, who's going to respond here? We need, you know, communications needs to go out, what have you." No, we we'll do that from the headquarters. Good. So who's the Spanish guy or lady? 
and simply they didn't have the language resources. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's nice in a plan and the operational side, like we'll do this and it will refer to, but then, and those are not details, but suddenly it hits them that, oh, we, we don't have the language skills. Absolutely. Uh, so, so it is an important one. Yeah, definitely. I think that's where the preparation that I keep, I, I will go on about this as long as I need to, you know, I'm not tired sure. of talking about it, but yeah, yeah. Um, we, when I, we've had um, investigations in the police where, you know, you're looking at niche um, parts of society that have different languages, different um, culture. Um, you can't just be revert to the arrogance of the old days. And I say that in inverted commas, where everything will be put out in English um, because mm -hmm. ultimately you're serving the the operational requirements and to, to whether that's getting more witnesses to an appeal or finding someone who's a victim of crime or ensuring that people are removed safely from a building, for example, you need to really research your audiences before something goes wrong. So, you know, we've had to do campaigns all in Urdu, for example, um, mm -hmm. And and that's that's absolutely crucial. And also, it's that um, the public confidence that you acknowledge that you are not, you know, an English speaking um, organisation. You are serving the public first and foremost. So um, this is again sort of the, the strategic overview of of how you are communicating, not just at the emergency time that that 24 hours when it's all going horribly wrong but in the run-up to one you know the anticipation of that you might get one and that's preparing prepare 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 all all the way and then there is another aspect as well because when i look at your your background and your experience it goes from from riots to to natural disasters over to cyber attacks but when i take those two very different um, emergencies, like an, an emergency evacuation, for instance, general public in a certain geographical area, and then a cyber attack. I mean, it's as well, how how do you communicate to people? Not And apart from the language, but what kind of language do you use? Uh, a, a cyber attack is totally different. We are pretty quickly in the, the bits and bytes language kind of thing that nobody understands. Uh, whereas emergency evacuation communication needs to be as simple as straightforward as possible. So how do you how do you manage that? I think um, the the key thing to anything is understanding your audience and putting yourself in their shoes. So at the end of the day, we all revert to type. We're all creatures of habit. We all want to know, you know, how does this affect me? And if you mm -hmm. can, if you can distill something down into what you consider to be the most simple form and then distill it down again, then you're going to hit as many people as you can in a, in a quick succession, you know, in a quick period of time. And actually, I don't think that um, a language should be adapted too much for different scenarios. As long as the, the language fits your audiences and your brand um, you can't, what I, my biggest pet hate is police speak in press releases. Yeah. And I see it still. No member of the public knows, you know, what police speak really is. They just want to know that they uh, can leave here at this time and someone will be at the other end to meet them. They don't want to know your yeah, ingress and egress and, you know, all the, yeah, like, yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? And actually, it's yeah. like, okay, there's been a cyber attack. This is what you need to do. Change your passwords. Don't give out any information to people you don't trust. That mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know, it, it, it's literally 
people have got enough to be worrying about. And I think one of the traps that I, I too have fallen into many times is thinking that it's the most important thing in the world to everyone else because it's the most important thing to me because it isn't. And, and communicators are terrible for ego um, and they do think it's all about them and their message and their branding. And, you know, it's like, no, you really have to understand who you're communicating with. Um, and, you know, it's so important to understand that by going out and meeting people and not being a desk communicator. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I always did as a, as a police officer was actually I would go out and I'd spend time doing the, you know, the, the basic police work and I'd get to meet members of the public. I'd also get to meet, you know, other colleagues who would be responding to internal communication and, and talking to them about how they perceived what we were doing in the media, because it also impacted upon them. Um, and by doing that, you can then take that all back. And instead of saying, well, what a success, we managed to get this many clicks. It was like, well, why are they clicking? <laughs> are they clicking because yeah, yeah. it's awful? Are they clicking because they're bored? Are they clicking because it's useful? And I think you don't know that until you speak to people. And actually mm -hmm. getting really into who you're communicating with would actually solve so many problems. And like, how do we communicate with these people? We just ask them, get to know people, understand what people's motivations are. And that's why I think language itself and style and approach doesn't actually need to be too tricky. Mm. Well, one of the things that you see in, in the private sector as well is that it, it we all have, depending on the industry and the sector you're in, and everybody has a, a kind of uh, jargon that is used in the organization. And mm -hmm. that is something that, at least myself, I always was very careful with that, that, you know, it's it's good for very targeted press releases within the same industry. Absolutely. But once you get into emergency situations, or you know, take those things out because nobody understands you. Just you know, keep it straightforward and 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 as well do research. As you said, you went out on the street as a as a as an officer, as a police officer. I think definitely a lot of PR people like me need to go out and meet customers and meet um, you know the stakeholders that we have because for most of us and people who listen and don't agree send me an email but for most of us stakeholders are are dots on a map uh, yes, in our yeah. office uh, if at all we did a good stakeholder uh, analysis and audit and that is dangerous because we need to know what what people really you know are working with mm -hmm. and what they're doing and what is important to them so completely agree on that side yeah. and the thing is it can be fun as well you know i've 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 had some amazing experiences. You know, I've been winched off boats. I've been in the bowels of Tower Bridge. I've I've been involved in emergency evacuations as a, a hostage on a terrorist situation. I mean, that doesn't sound fun, but in retrospect, it was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've, I've been to so many places and seen so many things, and that I all I had to do was ask. And you'll be surprised how many more wonderful contacts you make by taking an interest in what they do. Because I can guarantee nine times out of ten, a lot of the people who do the work out on the ground um, don't feel that they're being recognized by corporate. And yeah. so if you can go out on an oil rig and say, hey, tell me about your job, just help me understand it more, they will be thrilled. And also, these are the people that when you are really stuck they will help you out because they will remember that you've made the effort to understand their role. Anyone can talk to a CEO and get an appointment with them and say, tell me about your company. But, you know, yeah. to make the effort to go out and spend time with that person. I've been on ride-alongs in different police departments and fire services around the world just to understand 
how things are and look at the similarities and you know, get the challenges, whether it's from massive, um, huge kind of control centers in Canada to tiny um, outpost traffic departments in Sri Lanka. It, it, it just all helps inform your communication strategy. And you can also share that with other people and put people in touch. And I, I think that, you know, you, it is what you make of it. And it is easy to fall into being a desk communicator, very easy, especially with social media and, you know, the yeah, internet yeah. and what have you. But I go back to when I was a, a journalist, when I was like 16, it's like, get out there, get the story, you know, all you're mm-hmm, doing is communicating mm-hmm. it in the same way. It's just, you're not a journalist, you're, you're a, a communicator. So how, how should that be different? Yeah. And, and you mentioned social media in the context of this, that it's, it's dangerous to stay, you know, behind a desk and within the walls of an organization. At the same time, we've got this enormous amount of data that we can now analyze. And uh, again, I feel we're not doing a good job at, at using that specifically for emergency um, analysis, for audits, uh, to get to know those, those, those people that at some point we'll have to talk to. Because they use their own language online. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I base here in Morocco, when when there is online monitoring, it's on, not in Arabic because nobody speaks Arabic here. Everybody speaks Darija, which is a is a non written language. So we need human intel uh, mm-hmm. to use that jargon uh, that we understand uh, to to know how people uh, speak, how how they they have these concepts in their mind and and express it in a language that is not understood by by software. Uh, so it's it's still human intel, but at the same time, that social media platform gives us an, a huge amount of information. Uh, again, there, I think it's important to do it, but at the same time, go out and meet people. So they, they, they're both working as a, as a source for inspiration and preparation. Absolutely. And also, when you look into an organization, you need to look at who are the people that talk to them the most. So mm-hmm. what I've done in the past is going into a contact center and say, okay, Tell me what what are the top 10 questions you get asked by the public? What are they constantly asking about? And how can we use that intelligence to reduce call volume into this place? Because if Mm -hmm. they're asking the same questions again and again and again, they're obviously not finding it where we want them to find it. Um, So, you know, in one police force I work with, we were able to reduce call volume by doing proactive searching on social media overnight on a Sunday. So. It, we would respond to them, we would deal with them, and then they wouldn't call on the Monday morning. So it, it's about, again, finding out what people want to know rather than just put, pushing out the broadcast statements. And it could well be that the, you know, the little old lady that's asked one small question that you miss will be the trigger for something else, you know, absolutely vital that you have to respond mm. to. Um, and it's it's having that sort of broader overview of what, what people are talking about what do they expect from you and again you're never going to know until you ask the right people who know i guarantee sweet c-sweet people board directors they have no idea about the public um yes they're great at being you know running a company but the reason why you have these different people in contact contact centers and out on the street is that they work with people all the time and nine times out of ten they don't actually get asked so again it's that engagement is so important yeah yeah now, the um, today you're the CEO of Masterpoint, so that came out of a frustration, right? That's right, yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> a number of them. I think um, the public sector and emergency services and those who deal with them 
um, or work with them sort of in a private sector capacity. Um, it's such a unique environment with very different challenges to a straightforward corporate, you know, private sector yeah. company. Mm-hmm. And um, I was finding that I didn't have quite the tools I needed to manage a comms team, but also work with other um, departments within not just my um organization but also Mm -hmm. other agencies so you know we have to work together Um, and i know following seven seven there was an emphasis on the greater collaboration between agencies and communication so i wanted something that meant i could assign things and allocate them to other agencies because nine times out of ten police get asked the questions you know if who else do we ask i will just ask the police or the council um, but you would find that a lot of these queries were for other agencies or people. So I wanted something where I could quickly move, triage, quickly get them dealt with by other people, but also have that log because um, I've had to give evidence in court um, around my of communication course. decisions. And a lot of people don't think that will ever happen to them. And it does and it will. And, you know, the, the one thing I learned is if it's not written down, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So muster point kind of takes away the stress of you know logging everything it's in there it's it's automated you know a lot of the actions are logged and you can pull off those reports say you know we did do this we did um make sure that we sent out these alerts we did make sure we responded to this person we saw that this was intelligence we sent it to the intelligence department so um it was that and also the cost, um, a lot of solutions, super expensive. We in the public sector don't have a lot of money. It shouldn't be a barrier to doing your job properly. And actually, when you think about it, if you can't log stuff and you get caught up in a post-incident um, investigation, it could cost your career. So I wanted something that would still support people. Um, no, and so it's, it's grown, you know. It's, it's, a, it's out of necessity, frustration. Also, the... I want to use this in a very broad sense, but a kind of lack of respect from software providers for the really difficult circumstances in which emergency communicators mm-hmm. work. Um, that that was yeah. one thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I think and you mentioned the logging, logging stuff, every single action that's been undertaken. It is incredible when you talk with private companies, some of them on the stock exchange, that it's simply not happening during a crisis. It sometimes happens on the operational side, but it it often doesn't happen from the communications point of view. And I always tell my clients, look, okay, you're going through a crisis and then at a certain point that will stop as well. But you could face, you know, court and go in there and you'll have to prove when did Mm -hmm. you send out that piece of information? When did you send out that press release? When did you... And people simply don't get it. Uh, While we always say in communications, well, it's always the lawyers or the legal department who's holding us back. So uh, it's, 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 it's true. It's one of those things where I get really angry about that. You know, you should log every single move that you're making and you should work in mm-hmm. hand in hand with the legal department because those guys in the private sector are a line of defense as well. Absolutely. And when you consider how many private companies are regulated, you know, of course, when I worked at the City of London Police, you know, Economic Crime Department, they're dealing a lot with uh, financial services, um, you know, the conduct, uh, you know, all these regulated boards and they st- 
still struggle to understand why they need that evidence. Yeah. And uh, actually, when you consider that the, the small upfront investment of protecting yourself is is nothing compared to how much it will cost if you screw up. Um, and I've I've had press officers from private sector agencies or organisations in tears because they didn't understand the law, they didn't understand what the consequences would be, and it's simply because they didn't write it down. Yeah, yeah. if it's not written, it didn't happen. That's completely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christine, already um, the the last question, but we'll do this again with a case study. Uh, that will be interesting to see our our, our different perspectives on that. Um, from from all the things that you you went through and you you were involved close by or far away, but w- what was the most challenging one? What was the most challenging emergency or crisis that you you were involved in, and why? I think um, when. Wow. Uh, I think when they're straightforward, they're not so challenging because it's, I hate to say it, but a lot of emergencies do follow the same kind of pattern. Mm -hmm. They just have nuances. When it involves the human element of actually this could have very real, um, have a very real impact on a person at the end of this Mm -hmm. um, was we uh, had to deal with someone who reported a, a case of uh, sex abuse committed by one of our officers in the past, and it was a historic case. And um, the person who reported it came in and reported it directly to me, um, but I was in, in the head of comms at the time, and it involved a lot of people that I knew. Um, it involved a, a, a victim, obviously, um, and it was also around the time of the Jimmy Savile um, issues. And so there are a lot of questions that had to be answered, not just of an organisation, but of individuals who I had a working relationship yeah. with. And not only was it a case of I had to challenge um, some policy on a national level to get what we wanted out of it, it was that almost weighing up what was more important, whether it was the victim, the people who worked in the organisation, the impact of, you know, how this would look to the public at large around policing and their trust. And it was emotionally very challenging. And it's, it's you know, when things kind of crash or blow up or, yeah, yeah. you know, go fire, it's almost easier to deal with. But this is a very personal human element. Um, and it was it was a significant crisis at the time, um, but I think the way we dealt with it made it, it, it we 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 managed it very well in my mind. Um, and I think anything anything that you know where someone is going home and they're they're thinking about it, you know whether whether it causes them such angst that after twenty thirty years they still need to get closure. Yeah, I took that as a personal responsibility and professional responsibility to to help with that closure, um, and that that could have been quite significant um, for for everyone concerned. Mm-hmm. But let's agree that next time we'll talk also about post-crisis and how you, or post-emergency, because that is another area, as you just said. I mean, after those kind of cases as well, the the psychology, the help, the uh, the support, all these things, which, again, you know, I don't see often happening in the private sector. But still, there's a lot of uh, of topics to be discussed around that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Christine, thank you very much for those insights. Uh, it was great chatting with you. And as agreed, we'll do this again around the case study, though, so we can 
debate uh, on, on, on both sides uh, what what, uh, what crisis and emergency uh, communications is all about. Thank you Lovely. very much for being on the show. No, thank you. It was really enjoyable. Keep the peace. Well, I hope you liked this uh, episode as much as, uh, as I do. Really interesting uh, topic. I'm fascinated about uh, crisis comms and, and, and love to compare things with people uh, with the same background or with a totally different background, in fact, than Christine, who comes from uh, the public sector and, and is now managing uh, Masterpoint. So if you like the show, don't forget, go to iTunes and uh, give a vote, give a review. Very important for the show. Also, don't forget to go to www.wagthedog.fm. You'll find the full show notes with the full background of my guests, in this case, Christine, more information about the platform, uh, Masterpoint, some links. So don't forget, visit the show notes. There's always a bit more background information over there than we can talk about, of course, in around 30 minutes of uh, interview. Hope to hear you next week. And in the meantime, do the right thing. Keep the peace. Do the right thing.